Well, good morning. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. It's just one week until Easter, you know, and I'm excited about that. I was excited until I found out today the temperature is going to go to 88. I said, yuck, 88. But then someone told me this morning it's going to be back in the 60s by Wednesday. But we're going to probably be back to 88 next Sunday because I'm going to the beach to baptize people. And 60 is too cold for baptism, but we'll do it anyways. We'll suck it up. So, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to Easter. And we've been kind of like getting ourselves spiritually prepared for Easter. We've been looking at Christ up close and personal. We looked at his courage in going to the cross. We looked at his teaching. We looked at his purpose. And today we want to look at his passion. Now, I'd like to begin um, by asking you a question. How many of you have, have uh, heard of a guy by the name of E.V. Hill? Can I raise, raise your hand? Come on, raise your hand up there, man. Come on, really? That's it? E.V. Hill. Phenomenal preacher. I believe he died, passed away about 10 years ago. Pastor of a, a Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church. Phenomenal preacher. Boy, that boy could preach. And in one of his uh, more memorable messages, he raised this question. He said, when was God at his best? I'd like for you to answer that question in your mind, not out loud. When do you think God was at his best. Now, he spent about an hour answering that question. I'd like to give you the one-minute version, okay? Some would say God was at his best in the creation of heaven and earth. The consistency of the stars, the moon, and the stars, they just cry out that there's a God, a master designer. God was at his best. Others would say God was at his best in the creation of not Adam, but Eve. So beautiful, so sweet, so soft, so lovely to look upon, and yet so complex and complicated. E.V. Hill said, God made the world and rested. God made the sun and rested. God made the animals and rested. God made the fish and rested. God made man and rested. God made the woman, and since then ain't nobody rested. But no doubt, God was at his best when he created my beautiful wife, Janet. And she's not here at this service. Make sure you let her know that I was talking about her in a good way, okay? Now, some would say God was at his best, Evie Hill continues, when he delivered his children out of Egypt into the promised land. Others would say God was at his best when he sent forth his one and only son to be born in a manger, Christmas. Others would say that God was at his best when he gave his son to be crucified on a cross, and then he raised him from the dead. Then E.V. Hill concludes, God was not at his best when he made the heavens and the earth. It was not when he put the sun in place. It was not when he put the moon in place. It was not when he raised Lazarus or even Christ from the dead. You know when God was at his best? When he saved my soul. God is at his best, saving souls, touching lives, touching people, one life at a time. And I want us to see this morning that Jesus was at his best when he was moved by compassion towards people, when he had compassion on us. And I'd like for us this morning to look at two stories that we really see, I think, the heart and the nature of Christ and Christianity. 
If you grab your message outline, look with me over there at Mark chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to uh, verse 40 of Mark chapter 1. It says, a, the text says, A man with leprosy came to him, came to Jesus, begged him on his knees, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with, what's the word? Compassion. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Now I want to make sure we catch the most important thing about this story. And this is it. Jesus is approachable. Can you say that with me? Jesus is approachable. You know, when I grew up, uh, the most dreaded disease in my young little world growing up here in in, uh, North Palm Beach here in Florida, it wasn't measles or mumps or the chicken pox. It was a more subtle, more mysterious disorder that struck terror in my heart, struck terror in the hearts of my little friends at school. It was a fate worse than death itself. There were no known cures or vaccines. And fortunately enough, it was easy to recognize this disease. It was carried by little girls. And if they were to touch you, if they were to breathe on you, even if they were to look at you real hard, you would get the dreaded cooties disease. And the only girl that didn't have cooties was my mother. Well, during Jesus' day, there was such a disease far, far worse than cooties. It was called leprosy. And the first sign of leprosy where your joints would begin to ache. And then there would appear these these white patches on your face and on your hands. And then you get these nodules or lumps that would begin to grow on your face and they would ulcerate and create a foul stench. And your hair would fall out. And your eyebrows would literally fall off. And you were actually unrecognizable. Lepers in Jesus' day were not just sick. They were considered unclean defiled. They were disdained. They were the untouchables. Leviticus says this, those who suffer from any contagious skin disease must tear their clothing, allow their hair to hang loose, kind of displaced. And then as they go from place to place, they must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean, as long as the disease lasts. They will be ceremonial unclean and must live in isolation outside the camp. Imagine for a moment what it would have been like to have been a leper. To live in isolation. To never feel a hug of a small child, the touch of a friend, the arm of your parents around your neck. The warm embrace of your spouse. The law was very clear. Don't touch. Don't touch. And Mark carefully paints the picture here of a man with leprosy coming to Jesus. And he falls to his knees and he pleads with Jesus to heal him. 
I mean, there's a sense of urgency in his voice. He's keenly aware of the fact that he is violating Mosaic law and that Jesus is technically violating the law by letting him approach him. Jesus is approachable. Jesus is approachable to the untouchables. This man apparently had heard about Jesus and his love and his compassion. Now, the other rabbis in Jesus' day, they followed the strategy of of isolationism. They kind of looked at sin and suffering as a contagious disease, and and the only way to stay clean was to have nothing to do with people, to have nothing to do with sinners, those people who were unclean. And they'd have nothing to do with lepers and Gentiles and tax collectors and prostitutes. The rabbis, the pastors in Jesus' day, they, they kind of took pride in themselves on being unapproachable. They thought themselves as being very close to God, and because they were very close to God, they were far from the people. And this untouchable man approaches Jesus with his sense of shame, with his sense of unworthiness, He says in the text, if you are willing, you can make me clean if you're willing. You see, Jesus was and is eminently approachable. True spirituality makes you more approachable, not less. Jesus came to show us that he is approachable. And Jesus is approachable to all of us. Jesus is the most approachable person who ever walked the face of the earth. We're told that the children, people brought their little children to have Jesus touch them. This leopard comes to Jesus, and what did Jesus do? He says that he was filled with compassion. We see his heart filled with compassion. Jesus reaches out his hand, and he touches the leper, and he says, I'm willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus is waiting for people to approach him. If the truth were made known, a lot of us in this room, we kind of hold back. We feel like we don't deserve to approach him. And the truth is, we don't deserve to approach him. We're we're just like that leper. We all have our issues. We all have our sins. We all have our struggles. We all have our disease. We all have our problems. But we approach him. And we approach him boldly, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. That he is God and he is gracious and he is loving and he is forgiving. And we boldly approach him. And he wants us to boldly approach him. Because he is full of compassion and he longs to heal and to forgive us. He's eager to say those words. I am willing. Be clean. And I think it's important for us to note that this leopard comes to Jesus while he was still a leper. He knew that he was unworthy. He knew that he didn't even have a right to approach him. But he came and he begged. And too often, I think we have, uh, we have this idea, kind of Chris alluded to that, that we have to kind of clean ourselves up before we can come to God. We've got to clean ourselves up before we come to faith. We've got to clean ourselves up and, and live a better life before we publicly confess our faith in Christ by being baptized. That's not the case at all. Jesus is approachable to all of us now. We just need to come. And some of us, we need to fall on our knees We need to say, I've got this problem, and I need your help.
I need your help. And Jesus will be moved with his compassion to help us. Now, before we go to the next story, I need to ask you this question. I think it's the most important question I'm going to ask you this morning. And this is it. Am I becoming more approachable or less approachable? Are you becoming more approachable or less approachable? I mean, do sinners and irreligious people feel comfortable around you or do they feel judged by you? As you're growing older, are you becoming more like the Pharisees or are you becoming more like Jesus Christ? Jesus is approachable and Jesus is attentive. The second story I'd like for us to look at this morning is found over in in John chapter 9. Begin reading in verse 1. The text says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been what? Blind from birth. Jesus is moving. He's moving from one town to the next town. He's on his way and he's busy. But with his always attentive eyes, Jesus sees a blind man. The blind man doesn't see Jesus, right? He's blind. Jesus sees the blind man. And you have to understand, in those days, if you were born blind, you had no life. In all likelihood, you would spend most of your days begging, begging for food, begging for money, begging for something. You would have been ignored. You would have been looked upon as a nuisance, as a drain on the economy. There was no Braille. There was no employment opportunities. You had no life at all. But this story is about Jesus seeing somebody that other people did not see. It's about Jesus paying attention to somebody that other people ignored. And he's moved with compassion. And this guy's got no social status. He can't return a favor. There's nothing in it for Jesus, but Jesus notices him. And with laser-like focus, he moves towards him. And today, when Jesus looks at this earth, he doesn't just see a sea of faces. He doesn't just see 7 billion-plus people. He sees individual people. One life, one person, one individual at a time. He sees you, and he knows you, and he knows your name, and he knows your heart, and he knows your story, and he knows your heartache and your fears, and he knows what you're thinking, and he knows what you're thinking about doing tomorrow. He knows you, and he sees you as a whole person. We don't see people that way, do we? We see people in groups, those people, those people over there. Not so with Jesus. He is attentive to each individual. And then Jesus heals this blind man's sight. Notice in verse 6. Then he, Jesus, he spit on the ground, made mud with his saliva, and smoothed the mud over the blind man's eyes. Kind of making it very clear why this guy is going to be healed. And he told him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went. man left Jesus. The man went and washed and came back seeing. 
I mean, this guy was blind from birth, and now for the first time, he sees. He sees color. He sees motion. He sees people's faces. He sees trees and flowers, and he sees the beautiful blue sky. And Jesus doesn't even hang around to be thanked. He goes on to the next town. He didn't want to draw a lot of undue attention to himself. He just keeps going. And this guy, this guy kind of ODs on his new vision. He's telling everybody, man, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, and now I see. And I'm sure he stopped at the local Pearl Vision. You know, he saw his optometrist went in there, covered up one eye, man. He read the bottom of the chart, just nailed it. Better than 20-20 vision. But then trouble comes. No good deed goes unpunished. The religious leaders hear about this miraculous healing and, and they come looking for him and they corner him and they begin to pressure him. And then they call in his parents to verify that he was indeed born blind, been blind all his life. And then they call the man back in for questioning. Let's, let's pick up in the narrative in verse 24. So the second time they called in the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God by telling the truth. Because we know Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind, and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I, I, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know anything about him. Why? That's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know anything about him? Well, God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's He's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Never since the world began has anyone been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do it. You were born in sin, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. They excommunicated this guy. You see, these religious leaders, they didn't want to see the reality of who Jesus is and who Jesus was. Their hearts are hard. They're spiritually blind to the truth of who Jesus is. They can't see the spiritual truth. He's right there in front of them, and they can't see it. And Jesus, by now, he's already on to the next town. He kind of hears of the commotion. And so he, he comes back to have compassion on this man again. Now, the first time, he just healed his eyes so he could see. Now Jesus heals the blind man's soul. And I find it very interesting that Jesus just did good by healing the man's soul, and he left him. And then he comes back, and he heals the blind man's soul. Verse 35 says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he, what's the word? What's the word? Found. He found the man. Do you see the picture here? Jesus is attentively searching for this guy. 
Now, we don't know if he found him in a couple hours or a couple days, but he searched for him. And he's searching for people today. He's searching for you. He is attentively searching for you. And he finds this man, and in verse 35, and he asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Phrase often used uh, as, as the Messiah. And the man answered, who is he, sir? Because I would like to. You have seen him. And Jesus said, and he's speaking to you. Do you see the progression here of this man's faith? If you've got your Bible, back over in verse 11, the neighbor asked him, how have you become able to see? And he basically says, the man they called Jesus. He, that's all he knew. He, he knew this guy. His name was Jesus. And Jesus had compassion on him and, and healed him. And now he could see. That's all he said. In verse 17, when the Pharisees are interviewing him for the first time, what's your opinion about this man that healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. I mean, there must be something special about him. He has some type of religious authority to be able to do what he did. And then in verse 33, the second interview with the religious leaders, he says this. If this man, Jesus, were not from God, he could not have done it. In other words, it became very clear to this man that Jesus must be more than just a prophet. That he was indeed the long-awaited Messiah a special message sent from God to help us to know him. Then in verse 37, Jesus tells him that the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah, stands before him. And in verse 38, how does he respond? Let's read it together, can we? Yes, Lord, the man said, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. He calls him Lord. It means it means, it's a Greek word, kurios. It means sovereign one, supreme one. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. You're the sovereign, supreme one. You have healed me. I believe. And then it says, he worshiped Jesus. He worshiped Jesus. You restored my sight. You came back and you searched for me. And now you've saved my soul. And at that moment, he gained something far more precious than being able to see with his eyes. He was able to see with his soul, to see and to know who Jesus really is. Do you know? Do you really know who Jesus is? Do you know him up close and personal? Do you know that he's more than just a great teacher? Do you know he's more than just a miracle worker? He's the Savior of the world. He died to save your soul. And he wants more than anything else to be in relationship with you. For you to know him up close and personal. Jesus is at his very best when he goes from life to life and he has compassion on people, and he saves their soul. And we, as Christ followers, we are at our very best when we do the same. A few years ago, a group of uh, salesmen 
they went to a, a regional sales convention in Chicago and, and they assured their wives that they would be back in time for Friday night dinner. And, and they got up there at the convention and got going. And Friday, they got a, a, a late left, a, a time to leave, to head to the airport. And they get to the airport and they're behind. And, and they get through security. And now the plane is on the, you know, getting ready to pull off. And these guys just start running, running through the, uh, the airport, through the, trying to get to their gate. Just, just running with their stuff and their, their carry-on luggage. And as they ran by, there was this girl there, and she had this table, and she had a baskets full of apples, and she was sharing, selling these apples. And as one of the guys went by, his suitcase hit the leg on the table and knocked it over, and apples went everywhere. And these guys knew that if they were to stop and to help, they're going to miss their plane, and they're going to be in trouble with their wives. So they just kept running. They just kept running, all but, but one guy. One guy kind of got in touch with his feelings. He experienced a twinge of compassion for the girl whose apple stand had been overturned, whose apples were just spread all on the floor. And so he stops and he turns around and he goes back to help her. And she's now down on all fours picking up her apples. She's blind. She's 16. And she's softly crying with tears running down her cheeks as she helplessly tries to pick up the apples. And the salesman kneels down beside her, helps her gather up her apples, puts them back in the baskets. He takes some of the apples that have been damaged and he puts them in a separate bag. And then he gives her $20, tells her this is $20. He's sorry for the damage that his friend did. She nodded. She's crying. He says, I hope we didn't spoil your day too badly. He turns and he walks away. And the bewildered girl cries out and says, Sir, mister, are you Jesus? Are you Jesus? And he quietly walked away, caught another flight. But those words burned into his soul. Are you Jesus? Do people mistake you? Do people mistake me for being Jesus? I mean, that's our destiny, right? If we call ourselves followers of Christ, we're on this earth, and the purpose of us being here is to become like Christ, to become so much like Christ that when people bump into us and see us, they see Christ. Are you Jesus? Do people see Jesus in you? We need to be more approachable. We need to be more attentive. We need to be more compassionate. We need to be more like Jesus. Can we bow our heads in prayer? Can you join me this morning and say, God, I need to be more like Jesus? God, I need to be more like Jesus. Help me to see the people in my life that need your love. God, help me to see the people in my life that need your touch. God, help me to be more approachable. Help me to be more attentive. God, help me to be more compassionate.
Can you pray that prayer this morning? God, help me to be more like Jesus. And this morning, some of you, like this blind man, you need to believe. You need to pray this morning and say, God, God, help me to see. God, help me to see my sin. Help me to see that you are indeed the Savior of the world. Some of you right now, you need to pray and say, I believe. I believe. I believe that you are God and that you died for my sins. I believe. I put my faith in you to save my soul. Thank you for dying for my sins. I put my trust in you and in you alone. God, we thank you. We thank you that we know you. We thank you that we experience you. God, help our hearts not to get hard and callous and cold. May we be approachable. May we be attentive. God, may we quit judging the world and may we begin to be on a crusade to be like Jesus and to love the world and to love the people around us. God, help us this morning to be like Jesus. And I pray, God, this week that you will help us this week of all weeks. This week when two-thirds of the world is going to be celebrating Easter, God, help us to love people and to invite people to come and to worship with us. God, help us to be like Jesus this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.